Well, uh, we finally come to that season, the all-important, significant moment in our lives that happens every year when football season starts again. Excited about it. Who's excited about football season? Anybody? Yeah? I get pumped about it. Um, The other day, I was uh, just scrolling through Twitter feed, and there was a, a Twitter handle that talks about college football stuff. That's all they ever talk about. And uh, they're talking about different aspects of it, getting excited about that. It's all kicking off uh, next week. But it was weird. The, it, it had a, I guess, a, a, a GIF. or Is it GIF or JIF? Can we? A, GIF. Okay, well, that's good. That's all right. Church is already divided. We've got issues. Okay. GIF, JIF. There was one. And it was this. This was the, what they were showing. I thought that was kind of strange for a college football Twitter handle, but this is what he said. It says, this is, let me throw it up there, the phrase, after we get off, there we go. It says, me mentally and physically preparing for a football team comprised of 18 to 22-year-olds to absolutely rip my heart out, right? There it is. I was like, man, that's so true. You have to keep showing that. feels violent, but uh, it feels true. If you are a college football fan, that feels absolutely true. You got like your team, maybe it's your alma mater or whatever you go to, and you get super excited about it, and you're all amped because you're full of hope for the the season ahead, and and, uh, to to watch effectively kids play a game. It kind of is amazing. I don't know if you've ever thought about how amazing it is that all the things that we can get really excited about, that if you really think about it, it's children now at 40, 46 I can say this, children playing games. It's kind of funny, but we can do that with all kinds of things in life, right? It is one of the, when, you, when I step back from something like that, I get a chance to say, okay, one, listen, there are tons of just foolish things we can get really excited about. I think playing sports is awesome. We love doing it, and I think it has a lot of value in life. But when you think about the kind of passion that exists for these kinds of things. It's just some foolish thing. There's some goofy things we can be all excited about and think about and process all the time. That's one reality. But the other is this. We have amazing capacity for worship. I don't even think we know the full extent of the capacity that we actually contain to worship. Maybe your thing isn't college football. Maybe you get excited about something else, art or fashion or cars or boating or hunting or stock market or mystery novels or movies or music or politics or just Instagram or whatever. We can get excited about all kinds of things and have all kinds of maybe even hobbies and get really jazzed about those things. And none of those things, of course, are inherently evil in any way, shape, or form. In fact, many of them bring a lot of blessing. But There is a problem. Even with all those cool things, we are still bored out of our minds. Bored. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. If you've got kids, uh, you can figure this out quick. Um, There is more entertainment and more technology available to us today than ever in human history. And you'll never find more people who get more bored faster. Everyone. And we've all felt it because you and I can't go like two seconds where like you don't, nothing's happening. What do we do? We just grab our phone. Boredom will set in immediately. We'll just look for something to start to 
stir us or to move. Boredom is never set in quicker. Why? Because hear this, nothing in all of creation can bear the weight of your capacity for worship. Doesn't exist. There is quite simply nothing on this earth that can stand under the crushing weight of the capacity that you and I have for worship. How do I know that? Because we're on the fifth Indiana Jones movie, all right? And he's, still, he's 90 years old and still searching for stuff. Still looking. You find all the coolest things on the planet. You're still searching, still looking, still longing, still wondering, still needing the thrill of the chase. The problem is this. You are not a bird of the air. You're not a beast of the sea. You're not a flower of the field. So you're different. We're different. All those things are going to rise and fall. They're going to live and die. But hear this. You are supernatural. We got to step back for just a minute and begin to think about who you actually are. You are an image bearer of the God of the universe. You will not just rise and fall. You're created in the image of God. You're an entirely different thing in all of creation. You will live forever. Let me say that again. You will live forever. You're supernatural. You're an image bearer of the God of the universe. There is no satisfying you with made things. There's no satisfying you. There's no satisfying me with made things. And yet there is a lie that exists. And it'll tell you that you can go a thousand different ways to a thousand different things in order to be satisfied. And it can be hobbies, it can be careers, it can be relationships, it can even be ministries looking to satisfy the craving you have for worship. And it won't answer the cry of your heart. It's a lie that there's something in creation that'll fill it, that'll give it to you. The apostle Paul actually is the one who's describing this condition that exists in those made in the image of God, where he steps back, and in Romans 1, he's telling the story of what happened to you, what happened to me, where something got broken, where sin entered into the equation of the human existence, and it marred, and it changed something, and he begins to describe in Romans chapter 1, verse 22, what he says is mankind, or man from the beginning was claiming to be wise, but they became fools. And here it is. Exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You 
are made for worship. This is why you exist. Why you carry and bring air into your lungs and breathe it out. And when you wake up every morning, you're made for worship. We are made for worship. What is worship? What is it? I think it's some great descriptions of worship. I tried to bring it all in, but I believe worship is the desire, the enjoyment, the delight of the heart above all other things that permeates your life and my life in a way where our thoughts and decisions and feelings and actions are moved by it. You can't escape that. No one can escape this. You'll find something to worship, period. You'll find something to worship. That's what we were designed for. And what Paul is trying to describe is that from the get-go, there's something inside trying to tell you that you can worship other things, created things, and that that somehow will satisfy. So we'll chase, and we'll chase, and we'll chase. And because of that, Worship starts on the inside and works its way out. It works inwardly. It begins to have an effect. And the question is, is what will own the adoration and affection of my heart above all else? What gets to own that? Now, that sounds like a massive question, but it has huge implications we have these questions because we've got something working inside of us that's trying to tell us if you'll just find this treasure, if you move to this city, if you have this relationship, if you have these accolades, if you have that pursuit, then you'll start to be fulfilled. That is the lie. Created things will make you okay. And therefore, we are, and I'm throwing myself here under the bus, a very sedated people. Easily enthralled with created things. And so we find things that are not wrong or bad or evil, but we make them God's and we find ourselves then passionless and rudderless and we'll go from thing to thing and it never answers the full cry of the heart. And so the question is, am I going to listen to the lie or will I take the moment to begin to believe that there is an exchange happening the beauty and the majesty and the glory of God for created things that needs to be reversed. That's the experience, by the way, of all humanity throughout all generations, the struggle of the people of God throughout history. You can see them, they keep getting pulled in to worship false and broken things, whether it was idols or sensuality or lusts of the flesh or false gods or evil kings or their own base desires. About 750 years before Jesus, 
will ever come onto the scene, the glory of God manifested in the flesh. A prophet named Isaiah steps out, and he is meant to bring this message to the nation of Israel where their hearts have gone really cold and really dark. They've kept turning away from God, seeking after things that would satisfy, things that would move their heart, things that would change their lives, but they kept looking among created things. They kept looking to be moved and titillated by something else. They'd forsaken God and they'd believed the lie. And at the outset of this mission, God gives to Isaiah, gonna call them to be a people who would turn their heart back. And God grants Isaiah a vision. He gives him a vision. What's the vision? It's the infinitely beautiful, glorious, wonderful God. He gives us this vision. It's chronicled in Isaiah chapter six. You can flip there if you want. We'll put it on the screen. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. So here's the vision that God grants him. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. Two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another, and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me. For I am undone, literally lost, shaken, undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The beginning of calling God's people back to himself is not repent and fix all your problems and mistakes. The beginning of calling people back to a life of fullness and design and desire and passion was the revelation of the glory of God. The only thing worth our worship in this life. He calls us back. If you want to be enthralled and moved with anything, it is the beauty of God. That's it. The beauty of God. It is the thing to chase. There is no Indiana Jones crusade that will answer the cry of your heart that you have and I have for all time other than the beauty of God. 
what will call our hearts back to himself is a vision for who he really is. To take the word of God and open it up and to get undone. I love that word, undone. To be dismantled by the glory of the Lord, by the beauty of the king of the universe, to be shaped and changed and moved and transformed by the vision of who he is. We can't even begin to imagine our true and authentic worship begins by being undone with a vision of his glory. If you want to know what worship means and is, it begins and ends with this reality, to be undone by a vision of his glory. To say, I'm not, I am not going to give in to a Romans 1 exchange of pathetic created things to take over the hunger of my heart for the infinitely beautiful God? That's the question that gets to be the wrestle. What is more beautiful to you in this life than anything? And I thank God for my Wife, and I thank God for my children, and I thank God for this church, all rich, beautiful expressions of the glory of God and means of his grace, and yet none can bear the weight of my worship. My wife cannot bear the weight. My children cannot bear the weight. You cannot bear the weight. And the more that I put my hope on my children and more I put my hope on my wife or more I put my hope on this church, the more we will all sink and you will sink. It can't bear the weight. There's one thing we've got to be enthralled and moved and changed and transformed by. We've got to get a bigger vision of the glory of God. It has to be, in some way, shape, or form, the pursuit of our lives. To take the time, energy, and effort, to take moments, five minutes, 10 minutes, one hour, 60 seconds, whatever it is, to just go, God, enthrall me, move my heart again. I got a hundred different places I'm tempted to sin. Move my heart, God. You find yourself with a sin problem, an addiction issue, something holding you back or keeping you back. The beginning place for crucifying that sin is not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and putting on your own holiness and saying, I'm going to do better today. No, it is a vision of the beautiful God. That's what changes the atmosphere of your heart, of your house, of your workplace. It all starts here. It has to. There's nothing else that will do it. I think that's what the Lord wants to just begin to do today. It's what we're taking a couple of weeks to do. And worship is so multifaceted. This is just one aspect. We'll talk next week about worship as part of our warfare. But God's asking us to step back and make that exchange again.
to not have the lie that the creation will somehow satisfy. Psalm 73, verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is what, church? Nothing, nothing on earth that'll satisfy Nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Strength literally means rock, the bedrock of my heart and my possession. To say my portion is to say to have you, to own you, to be with you. That will define the totality of our lives. Whether you and I can experience peace in the midst of chaos, these songs we sing on Sundays, you want to get to where sometimes, you know, if you've ever sang a song and you're like, man, I don't really feel this. I'm singing it by faith. You want to get to this place? You want peace and chaos? This is it. Have happiness in the midst of disappointing circumstances or whether you and I can be satisfied, there's no created thing that can do this for us. It can't bear the weight. So when we give our hearts to God and we give them to God alone, we get happiness, we get joy, we get purpose actually because nothing can spoil that. Nothing can actually change that. If that's the trajectory of your hunger, if God's glory and his beauty and seeing him high and lifted up and the majesty of Christ who sits on the throne and rules and reigns over the universe and spoke the world into existence and literally everything is being upheld by the word of his power and to be undone with that for a minute invigorates and all of a sudden all of a sudden we actually have purpose because nothing can spoil his name. Nothing can uh, blunt his delights. They can't be taken. They can't be shaken. And when that happens, that's when you and I can begin to bring a sacrifice of praise where you and I can begin to offer something to the Lord. That's what, he, that's what happens to Isaiah in chapter 6, verse 6. He's seen that he's unclean. He's broken apart from him. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. When God is the treasure, then you have purpose. Me, endless purpose. When God's the treasure and he comes and does his work where he cleanses us, not with a coal from the altar, but with the blood of the son of God then you and I actually have purpose. Then your job has more meaning than it's ever had before. 
then your marriage and your parenting and your children and your relationships and your friendships and the clerk at the store, it all has different design all of a sudden. And our worship becomes the offering of our lives to say, like Isaiah, okay, here I am, send me. Meaning this, you get all of me. You want to know what worship is? It is the offering of our lives. The true and authentic worship. Romans 12, we go back to this same letter Paul's writing. It says, and I'm going to appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In the past, what they did to worship God is they brought a sacrifice to say, your holiness is unfathomable. My sin has broken me. So I bring you an offering, a lamb, a bull. I bring that to you in exchange for the love of creation that I've had over you. The way I've treasured myself or creation over you. And so I make the exchange. But God says, no, 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 not anymore. Christ has been your sacrifice for forever. I'm not looking for dead sacrifices. You can come freely in your act of spiritual worship. It's a living sacrifice, not a dead one. It is becoming alive to God. Say that again. Our act of real and authentic worship goes so much further then singing corporate songs together, it is a life that says, God, I'm yours. Here I am. Send me. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. There it is. You are a living sacrifice. You are a life given to the only thing that will satisfy you. One of the most amazing things that God has ever done is made it so that the one thing that will satisfy the totality of your heart, worship of the God of the universe, is also the one thing that we were designed and created for from the beginning. That you literally in your DNA, in your nature is this need and God answers it with himself. So what's your act of worship? We bring the sacrifice of praise. We speak, we magnify, we declare your majesty. Your glory, love, affection, hunger. That's the sacrifice of praise. That's what it means to be living sacrifice, hunger for the beauty of God. God doesn't want your bulls, doesn't want the lambs. He covered you and I in the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not looking for your deeds. Here is it. He gets your heart. I'll say it again. He's not looking for your deeds. You aren't leaving this room more justified because you did more beautiful, good, nice, caring, wonderful deeds here. 
Well, God wants first, first before the deeds. I'm not saying that we aren't meant to accomplish many beautiful things in the name of the Lord. I'm saying what he wants before your doing is the heart. It's what Jesus does, by the way. He quotes Isaiah himself. Matthew chapter 15, he quotes Isaiah, says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. There's the exchange, by the way. You go back to Romans 1. You want to know what the exchange is? It's we'll teach as what is beautiful, the doctrines of men. We'll take created things and try to create a broken religion out of it. And what happens in broken religion is we sing songs, but there's nothing happening here. I, I, I fear that churches are littered with people who are saying things here and there's nothing going on right here. And God is saying, You're, you are made for more than this. Your life has to be more important than a religious exercise on a Sunday. This is the most important thing about you. And whatever gets to sit on the throne here will rule your life. So I bring this sacrifice of praise to treasure his name. That's why we gather the point of this gathering is for something to move here. The point of asking people with their gifts and talents to play music is to come in and say, I'm gonna sing some songs, but God, more than anything, would you start to change and move and do something in me? More today than yesterday. Have you ever come to church with a hunger like, God, would you somehow... Help me love you more today. That's why we gather together in homes or in groups to open up the word of God and say, how can we treasure men? How can we treasure God more? We're gonna throw axes for a little bit. But all that's just to get to a whole mess of men in a church who love God with everything they've got. And it changes their homes and their children and everything else and gathering women together and doing the same thing and opening up the word of God and saying, God, somehow warm, change, do something in here. We don't need it for knowledge. We need to be transformed. What does your life look like to be an offering? That's the question. What does your life look like to be an offering? There's an incredible picture and story in Luke chapter 7. I'm just going to share it. Um, we don't have time to read it all because we've got to finish up here this morning. But there's a Pharisee who has Jesus and he invites him over to his house. 
So Jesus comes to a Pharisee's house and he's there reclining and he's eating and a woman who is deeply broken in sin and undone comes and she takes this oil and anoints Jesus and she's weeping and she's wiping Jesus' feet, cleaning his feet with her hair. She's shattered about 10 different cultural taboos. Shouldn't even be there. She's not invited guest. She's a woman who has no business being at a table with men. She's put herself at Jesus' feet to assume that she deserves to be in the presence of a teacher or a rabbi. She's removed her covering and open to expose her hair, which is scandalous 2,000 years ago. It's the most inappropriate thing. And she is a marred woman in sin. And the Pharisee didn't even say anything. He's just thinking in his head. If Jesus knew what this, who this woman was, this, he'd be furious. But you know what Jesus knows? <laughs> Jesus knows what's actually going on in that Pharisee's heart. By the way, he knows what's going on in even our hearts this morning. Knows exactly what you're thinking. Knows exactly what's going on inside of you. And so he says, hey, there's, let me, I want to tell you a story, son. It's a Pharisee. There's one guy who owed 10,000 bucks. And there's one guy that owed 10 bucks. And the lender said, I'm going to forgive both of you, the 10,000 and the $10. I'm going to forgive you both. And he, he asked Simon, who do you think loved more and treasured more this incredible act of kindness? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven 10,000. And he said, well, you've judged right. See, this woman came in here and from the moment she entered, she hasn't stopped worshiping me. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet and anointing me and wiping my feet. And I came in and you didn't offer me a cloth. You didn't offer me anything. And he says, let me tell you what worship is. For whom much has been forgiven, they will love much. And the one who's been forgiven little will love little. Now here's the question. Did Simon need to be forgiven little? No. He just wasn't aware of how much he was forgiven. He didn't have a revelation. You don't know why? Because he was so amped up on the creation. He was amped up on his own ability, his righteousness, his pharisaical lifestyle he had no idea he was just as broken as that woman was but she knew it and she said I don't hear this I don't care what it costs me I don't care what the cultural taboos are I don't care what people will think about me my life is going to be a life of worship for the king of the universe. It doesn't matter what it costs me. I don't care what cultural taboos I have to step over. I will be a worshiper of the God of the universe. I bring my sacrifice and praise. You guys stand with me.
I'm gonna have, I'm gonna take two minutes. My, my prayer is that you'll take more time this week. Maybe more time this week than you ever have before. Or just at least more intentionally. I'm not talking about numbers of minutes. I'm talking about sincerity of heart. Would you do this right now? Would you just say, God, I'm ready to make the exchange again. I don't want any created thing tearing my heart away. Would you tell the Lord that? And would you just offer to him as a living sacrifice anything that you treasure above and beyond his glory? Give it to him. Lord, what sits on the pedestal, what sits on the throne, I want to exchange it again. I want to give it away again. I don't want it. And then would you just ask him for this? Lord, would you give me a vision of you that leaves me undone? This week, I want to pause. Help me be undone with your beauty, with your goodness, with your glory. I lay down the things that I tend to hold on to and I open my hands to receive a fresh vision just like Isaiah. I want to see you high and lifted up. I want to see your beauty. I want it to stir me. I want it to change my heart. Would you have my addictions? Offer it right now. Here are my addictions. Here's my brokenness. Here's the thing that no one knows about. Here's the hidden secret thing. I give it to you. I offer it to you. Help me be undone with you. God, I ask that you would do that for us this week. I'm praying that for myself. I want to be more undone with you and your glory than I ever have before. And I want it to move me. And I want to have and walk in purpose in every arena of life. And I ask that God you do that across this room. To give us fresh vision for worship. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this moment. Keep leading us. Keep showing us your goodness. We ask in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, the one who held your glory on this earth, we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings, guys. Love you.